Welcome to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. We pray that the truth from the Word of God speaks to your heart during today's message. We don't need a seminar to figure out how to build God's church because he said he will build it. We don't need any new revelation or new technique or tactic. God told us what to do. We're to go out and evangelize the lost. And as we win souls, the Lord wins them, as souls are converted, the idea is then they would gather with us and then be taught the Bible. Easier said than done, isn't it? <laughs> give out a lot of tracts, give out a lot of information, and uh, you get little to no results. And it's it can be very discouraging, um, which is why these seminars pop up and People go and they can build big churches because they change the plan and run it like a business, run it like a marketing scheme. And we don't want to do that. Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 26. You can bring someone right to the book of Hebrews, verse 26. You can ask them to read it or you can read it. Bible says, for if we sin willfully, after that, we have received the knowledge of the truth. There remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. And we can draw out willful sinning. And we can ask that lost person, ask them, what is going to be your sacrifice for sin? Have you sinned? I sure have. What's going to be your sacrifice for sin? Most of the time, we know what's going to come up. Well, I am a pretty good person. <laughs> and most of the time they are. It's not like we go to the fair this week and we're going to talk to a bunch of drug addicts or people that are in jail. For the most part, we're going to be talking to some really good families where the dad works and provides for his family. And, and their sacrifice for their sin is going to be their good works, their goodness, their fill in the blank. So what is going to be the sacrifice for sin? It's going to be Jesus Christ. Look at verse 27. But a certain fearful looking. Let me try that again. But a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment, suppose ye, shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That verse right there. You have a lost person read that. It is a fearful thing. To fall into the hands of the living God. And men and women nowadays want to cast God off of his throne. Now they can't. 
But in their minds and the way they live their lives, they just cast God right down from his throne. Because other things are more of a priority. Whether it's all my time is spent at the rodeo or all my time is spent at the baseball field or all my time is spent on just filling the blank. It's a way to cast God off his throne and put something else in replace of God that consumes your thoughts and your minds. We're not talking about amusement and enjoyment and enjoying what God has given us. And that's not part of the discussion tonight. But part of the discussion is the idolatry that men and women have adapted to get God off of his throne in their own mind. But in their attempt to get God cast from his throne, God is going to cast them into hell when they die. So what do we do? Love these people or hate these people? In one sense, they hate our God. But on the other sense, God loved them so much that he died for them. So should we just disregard them? Let God deal with them. Well, did someone do that to you? Or did someone bring you the gospel? Did someone give you a gospel track? Someone speak to you one-on-one about the Lord? If you back up a little bit, actually back up all the way to the beginning of the chapter, we see that, you know, we read about you know, Moses' law and these laws were a shadow. Christ now, he is the exclusive sacrifice. But these sacrifices made before, watch what it says. For the law, verse 10, or, or chapter 10, verse 1. For the law having a shadow of good things to come. And not the very image of the things. Can never with those sacrifices which he offered a year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. You ask that law story, what's going to be a sacrifice for your sin? For then would they have not ceased to be offered because that the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sin. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. They did these sacrifices. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering, thou wouldest would not, but a body hast thou prepared me. Christ came in a body of flesh. It was a one-time sacrifice. Ask the lost person, what's going to be the sacrifice for your sins? What are some questions that you typically ask a lost person when you're speaking with them? Where are you going to die? Where are you going to go when you die? How are you going to have your sins forgiven? Here's another question that you can just add to that toolbox and that arsenal is. What's going to be the sacrifice for your sins? And Hebrews is a great place to go to open that question up and open that conversation up. Did you see, did you, did you catch in verse number two where it says, because that the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sin? You know, the Roman Catholic Church teaches purgatory. I was brought up in that system. It's a process of purification, purgatory. And it's a place for purification. So when you die, you don't have a hope. 
you only have a hope so you can't know for you can't know for certain that you're going to go to heaven the best any catholic has is temporary punishment in purgatory the best of catholics die and go to purgatory they don't die and go to heaven none of them do they'll die and they'll go to purgatory they believe that that is an intermediate state and it's where your soul finishes its final preparation for heaven it continues this process of suffering for catholics this is why you'll see in uh i think it's brazil or somewhere in south america they'll crawl on their knees and you'll see that they'll do these different different disciplines of you know going through beads and praying these prayers over and over again and there's other things that they'll do too but it's all this process of suffering through their life and so it just continues in purgatory you've got to suffer for your sins so they continue uh in this indulgences are tied to purgatory you're taught to you know you go to penance and you give your sins your list of sins to a priest and it's a way of absolving you of your guilt but that penance isn't enough even in that giving your list of sins you still need to go to purgatory to further have your sins purged and to further go through suffering and to further ready yourself to be made fit for heaven you continue to cancel your accumulated debt of sin if that's the case we'd be there quite a bit of time <laughs> nobody would get out and if you really think about that and this is what sparked martin luther martin luther was a roman catholic <laughs> they were all roman catholics but martin luther saw something salvation by grace and this idea of selling indulgences sparked this protestant reformation it sparked on october 31st when he nailed that 95 thesis that is what sparked uh, he became just became so convicted from reading the bible and became so against the selling of indulgences um we, uh, you can't buy your way into heaven and if you go to purgatory which nobody does but what you, you're gonna you're gonna buy somebody out you can't you know it was the idea of before ash wednesday was fat tuesday you get fat on sin on tuesday and then you could go to church and get some ashes on your forehead you know if you got enough indulgences for you well you just buy out your sin you get a pass from the priest to sin and then you got purgatory to clean you up you got all these things to purge your sin what's your sacrifice for sin indulgences suffering penance purgatory or christ should be jesus christ it is jesus christ um hebrews 9 uh, look back to verse 27 because this is one of the verses that's taken way out of context they'll read one verse and as it is appointed unto men once to die but after this the judgment see you got to be judged you got to go to purgatory that's how they connect the dots on that go back to luke uh, luke chapter 12. 
Luke chapter 12, all the way towards the end. It's the last verse. Luke chapter 12, verse 59, or verse, verse 58. When thou goest with thine adversary to the magistrate, as thou art in the way, give diligence that thou mayest be delivered from him, lest he hail thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and the officer cast thee into prison. I tell thee, thou shalt not depart thence, till thou hast paid the very last might. Now, these verses, they take out of context, but they put this into the context of, well, you see, you're going to have to go to the office. You're going to have to be judged. You're going to get to have an indulgence. You got to get paid out. I go to a place to suffer. Have your sins purged for it. No. No, you don't. You can't give enough money to the Roman Catholic Church to have your sins forgiven. If you're in uh, still in Hebrews, look at chapter nine. And let's read in verse number eight, Hebrews chapter number nine, verse number eight. The Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect. As pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and divers watching and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. But Christ being come an high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. That is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption. For us, you don't have to go through a Roman Catholic priest. You don't need to get an indulgence. You don't need to have a penance. And you don't need to go to purgatory. What's your sacrifice for sin? For if the blood of bulls and of goats and of the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God. Here it is. Purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. What's your sacrifice for sin? Is it the blood of Jesus Christ? It better be or you're on your way not to purgatory. Hell. Hebrews 10, 27. Let's go back there. This verse speaks of justice, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. God is going to punish sin. It's going to be fiery indignation. And this verse speaks or it presupposes that man is guilty. It presupposes that you and I have committed crimes against God. And the lost person, they really do presuppose that they're okay. Because when they measure themselves against somebody else, they are okay, just not before God. 
How do you convince someone that's been successful in life, has a wife and three kids and private school and two cars, a dog, a cat, a nice piece of land, and a pension? And they vote Republican and they haven't killed anybody. How do you convince them that they're on their way to hell the same way you're going to convince someone that's a drug addict? And living out in the streets. It's a bit hard, isn't it? Because people justify themselves. They have their own form of justice. And it's based upon them measuring themselves against somebody else. And we've got to get out of that. We have to help people. We have to help lost people. Get out of that mindset. So that they can see themselves. God presumes you guilty. Um, go back to Hebrews, uh, Hebrews 10. We're in Hebrews 10. But go back to verse 7. We'll pick up where we, we stopped in verse number 6, I believe. Then said I, lo, verse number 7, I come in the volume of the book that is written to me to do thy will, O God. Above what he said, sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin, now what it's not. Neither hadst pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. I want to read that verse again. Let's pay attention to verse 10 and 11. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. What is your sacrifice for sins? I'm trying to give you another tool in your toolbox that you can use. Another question to ask, and that is, tell me, what is your sacrifice for sin? And you can bring him right to Hebrews, and you can stay right in here. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. That's the man Christ Jesus, and he made the sacrifice for your sins. He is the perfect sacrifice. I'm talking about drawing out. Jesus Christ as the perfect sacrifice. Look at Hebrews 11, verse 1. Everybody, not everybody, but most Christians are very familiar with this. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It doesn't say faith is the substance of uh, indulgences or purgatory or things. It's things hoped for. It's They're not in the present. You can't tangibly hold them. That's faith. You can't put your hands on it. It speaks of a future possession. Oh, man, isn't it great to preach on faith? They're great messages. I've heard many of them. I am sure you have, too. Maybe that'll be the theme for this next year's Bible conference. Faith. 
But when you don't know the end from the beginning, now you're not preaching a message on faith. You're not listening to a message on faith. You're not reading about faith. You're living. And it's sometimes hard for the best of Christians to not know the end from the beginning and still walk by faith. We didn't know what was going to happen when we came here. It's, it's a lot of sacrifice you ask of your family. It's a lot of sacrifice. It's a lot of not knowing. But you walk by faith. Now you can look back in your own life and you can see, you know, I just trusted God on this. I walked by faith on this and God sorted it out. Wouldn't you rather be there on everything in life rather than, but God asked us and everything we do to walk by faith. It's, we're not going to hold tangibly everything in our hand. And I'm telling you, when you talk to a lost person, if you want to sell them something, you got to get them to hold it, you know, and, Amazon is great, but there's nothing better than just going to a furniture store or a Walmart store and handling the the widget and sitting on the furniture because you can touch it. It's tangible. We're asking lost people. Jesus isn't going to shake your hand. You can't you're not going to get a hug from Jesus. There's nothing tangible you can hold. But by faith, you can put your trust in him. And he will save your soul that you can't see or touch, but you can touch your flesh. He will save your soul. And now what's going to be the sacrifice for your sin? Because your sin is going to be separated. Your soul is going to be separated from God because of sin. What's going to be your sacrifice? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. And our, our senses really do play a powerful role in believing. Um, but God says faith will be evidenced by not seeing. I'll tell you how powerful our senses are. I mean, you do this. Doesn't it feel I'm sure you've been to churches like this. I have. You go in, you walk in, and then the music is just so good. Doesn't that stir your, your scent? Because you can hear and you got a sense of that, doesn't it just stir you in the right way? There's a longing and desiring of that that I don't think is wrong. But it is this idea where your senses get stirred through good things and, and, and even bad things, bad influences that come in. But our senses play a powerful role in believing and in stirring us. Look at Hebrews 11 and let's read verse two. For by it, the elders obtained a good report. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Look at this. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, 
but which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead, yet speaking. Look at verse 5. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death. And was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. What's going to be the sacrifice for your sin? You're going to try to please God with your good works. You're going to try to please God with your perfect church attendance. You're going to try to please God with your family lineage. And you're going to try to please God with all of your social work. No. You must come to him by faith. He'll save you from your sin. And it goes on by faith. No one. We know. We know how chapter 11 unfolds by faith chapter. Um. Flip over, forward a book. The Roman Catholic Church teaches you can't be by faith alone. It has to be faith plus works. If you know anything about works-based salvation, you know that all the groups go to James chapter 2, and we'll start reading at verse number 14. What doth it profit, my brethren? Though a man say he hath faith and have not works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye of them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. See then how that by works a man is justified not, and not by faith alone. Likewise, also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. What does all that mean? It means faith without works is dead. And you are justified. Abraham believed God. He was justified. You have two types of justification. Before man and before God. We are called unto good works. By default, a Christian should be putting forth the fruit of good works. But there are two justifications. Before God, did anybody see that happen? Nobody. Before man. And they all see that happen. Because when someone is destitute of food and you say, well, be warm and filled, and you just let them die of hunger, well, nobody believes you're a Christian. 
Does that make sense? Baptism. I got saved, my soul's saved, and, and, and if the person that you're telling this is lost or doesn't know who God is, they're going to be like, what's a soul? I can't see it. And what does it mean to be saved? <laughs> we use this language after we get saved that no, only Christians know. It means something happened that nobody saw. You know why we get baptized? Not to get saved. It's a testimony to the public. It's a testimony to other Christians. It's a testimony to a lost and dying world that, hey, he's testifying now that he's buried and rose again in new life because of Jesus Christ. That's why we get baptized. That's why we have Baptists in the name of our church that people know and can identify. Oh, yeah, they don't believe that you need to be baptized to be saved. Oh, they got Baptism by immersion, not by sprinkling. You, you see what I mean? It's an identifier. But that's something people can see. They can't see what happened inside. That's between you and God. So that's James 2. That's not to be saved at all. Hebrews 9, we'll close it out. In Hebrews 9. What's going to be the sacrifice for your sins? Hebrew 9.15. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament. That by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Jesus Christ, the one mediator. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man. The man. Christ Jesus. What's going to be your sacrifice for sins? Who is going to be your mediator? It's got to be Jesus Christ. Or you're just going to die in your sins and end up in hell. And he might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. We'll finish out here in Hebrews 9 verse 16. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is of force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. Whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. For when Moses has spoken every precept, all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without shedding of blood is no remission. Now, depending on how the conversations go, you can read all that with them. You can have them read it with you. But that lost person, what's going to be the sacrifice for your sin? If it's not the blood of Jesus Christ, there is no remission. Your sin will not be in it will not be in remission. People want to put cancer in remission. You have to put your sin in remission. And it's only by the blood of Jesus Christ. This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Hebrews 13 20 says, That great shepherd of the sheep. Through the blood of the everlasting covenant. 
can have an everlasting covenant with God. If they would just trust in him. And receive the sacrifice, the only sacrifice. Thank you for listening to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode. In the meantime, you can sign up for our email newsletter at www.pilgrimbaptist.church.